theyeshiva.net. tell an anecdote that an American Jew once visited the former Soviet Union. So he meets a uh, Russian colleague and the Russian turns to him and says, so how is life in the United States of America? And the Jew says, uh, life is wonderful, thank God. And how is life here in the Soviet Union? And the Russian tells him, life here is also absolutely wonderful in the Soviet paradise. It's just here we don't say thank God, here we say thank Brezhnev. The Jew says that's so interesting, but what are you going to do when Brezhnev dies? He says, then we'll say thank God. I uh, share with you this anecdote, (laughs) because we'll be discussing today an argument, a very profound, very emotional, sensitive argument about a theme that really is more than, uh, doesn't lend itself easily to be discussed in a shir, the theme of pain. Let's begin with an opening Pasuk in Parshas Va'era. On your source sheets you'll see it's the first Pasuk. It's the first source. Va'era Perik Vav Pasuk Hey. Hashem God is talking to Moshe Rabbeinu. And he says, V'gam ani shamati esna'ak has b'nei Yisrael asher mitzrayim ma'avidim oisam. And I too have heard the outcry of the children of Israel over the fact that the Egyptians are enslaving them, working them, subjugating them. And thus I have remembered my covenant, my bris, to ultimately bring them to the land of their fathers, to the land of Israel. And he goes on giving Moshe the promise of Geula, the promise of redemption. At first glance, even though we learn Chumash, we gloss over Psukim. When one reads the Pasuk, one is immediately, uh, the sensitive student will ask three questions. First of all, what's the Vigam? Vigam Anishamati. It's like you say, he listened and I too will listen. But there's no, nobody else he's referring to to say, me too. Anishamati. What's Vigam? An Oso I heard. Number two. At this point in the beginning of Parshas Ve'era, if you don't know why the Jews are crying, you haven't read the text. We've had a whole Parshas Shemais about the horrible and horrific subjugation of the Jewish people under the Egyptians. The whole Parshas Shemais is singularly dedicated to that particular theme and sometimes in graphic detail to the point that at the end of Shemais, Moshe turns to Hashem and says, Why are you doing this? Why are you afflicting the people so heavily? So Ve'era begins, Hashem says, it's, gonna ha- it's going to happen, redemption will come. He could have said, I have heard the outcry of the Jewish people. We already know what the, what the purpose of the outcry. But he repeats, he says, why? Because the Egyptians are subjugating them. And a text which has every word precise and meticulous, no word superfluous or unnecessary, one wonders. And then finally, Ve'esker is brisi. A person who suffers sometimes from dementia, either willingly or unwillingly, 
So uh, needs to be reminded when somebody screams, so then you're reminded your promise. But it sounds like the reason I remember my covenant is because Anishamati Asnakas Bnei Yisrael. But if you made a covenant, you made a promise, so it shouldn't be dependent only when I hear the outcry. Today we're going to discuss an answer given by a great man, a great tzaddik, a kaddish. His name was Reb Shimshin Astropoler. No one of Reb Shimshin Astropoler. Hashem Yinkim Dammai. I'm going to mention just a few words about him so you could uh, get at least a, a very concise and brief overview of his life. Reb Shimshin Astropoler, as he's known, was born approximately in the year 1600. In Hebrew, that would be the year. Uh, Hey Alafim Shin Samach, 1600. Shin Samach, he was born in a city called Karitz in Volin, which was uh, then Ukraine, uh, today I think Poland, right? Or then Poland, today Ukraine. <laughs> today, right? Karitz is the Ukraine, I'm almost sure. And Reb Shimshin was born there, but he became uh, the famous Rav and Magid uh, Rav and a spiritual leader in the city of uh, Pulnoya. His grandson, his uh, descendant, was the famous Toldus Yaakov Yosef, the student of the Baal Shem Rabbi Yaakov Yosef, the Rav of that same city of Pulno. Rabbi Shimshin lived in that city and uh, he became known as one of the greatest Sadikim and Kabbalists, Mekobolim of his generation. He was a Kaddish alien, I mean, his holiness was uh, something extraordinary, and his mastery of Torah and of Chachma Sanistra, of Kabbalah, was absolutely unique for many generations. He wrote many works on Kabbalah, although most of them were lost. He wrote a commentary on Zohar that we don't have. A few of his works were published in fragments after his lifetime. Sefer Don Yodin, Lekutish Hashanim, a famous letter on the Haggadah, some other works of Reb Shimshon which are not easy to understand. They're riddled with Kabbalistic uh, codes, especially gematria, numerical values. Hepshimshin Astropoler was murdered on Gimel Av, on the third day of Av, Tov Ches, in the year 1648, during the Chmelanetsky pogroms of the years Tach and Tat, Gzeris Tach and Tat, 1648 and 49. On the third Av, it was July 1648. He was in a shul together with 300 Jews, wrapped in talus and tefillin and davening, and they were all murdered by the Cossacks uh, under Bogdan Chmalanetsky in Machshemai. Uh, so Reb Shimshin Astropoler was uh, murdered in those, uh, those Xeris of those uh, famous, infamous two years. He has a commentary on this Pasuk. It's brought in different Svarim. I've seen it uh, a few years ago, the first time in a sefer called Erla Yisharim. It's brief, as everything he writes is brief and concise, a little difficult to understand. I'm going to explain it to you the way I, uh, the way I understood it. So Pshimshin Astropoler says we have to learn a Gemara for this. And he brings us, he quotes a Gemara, Masech Brachas. In order to give context to the Gemara, as always, you have to know a Pasuk. You can't know Gemara if you don't know Tanakh. The Pasuk says in Parshish Mishpat, in Perik Chafal of Pasuk Chavav Chavzayin, if a man strikes the eye of his slave servant, of his servant, or the eye of his maidservant, and maims it, wounds it, permanently wounds it, destroys it. So this person is obligated to uh, 
send this servant or maidservant free. The same is true if he dislodges the tooth of his servant or maidservant. He must send him free in lieu of his, uh, in lieu of his tooth. This is the famous halacha, Eved means, we're talking here about an Eved Knaini, a person in a time when slavery was absolutely universally accepted, and the Jew owns a non-Jewish slave, if the Jew maims his slave, not only on the tooth or in the eye, as Chazal explained, any visible limb throughout his entire body, maims him and causes the permanent wound, automatically the servant or the maidservant goes free, he's a free man or a free woman. That's the halacha in Parshas Mishpat. What's the reason for this halacha? On the most basic level, Rabbeinu Avram Evan Ezra, the 12th century Spanish commentator on Chumash, writes in Parshas Mishpat, he says the reason is people had a tendency to strike their slaves and beat them. Those who know the history of slavery in America, in the South, 12 years a slave or other similar stories, know the horrific, unspeakable torture that slaves went through. Really an important part of history and a very horrific part of history. How slaves were subjected to abuse and uh, had absolutely no dignity whatsoever. So the Ebenezer says, the Torah is saying, you're going to beat your slave, just realize, he's going free. He's going free. There's another interpretation I once saw, very interesting interpretation. Masters would often do something, it's hard for us to understand, maybe it shouldn't be hard for us to understand if you follow the news in the world, but for some of us it may be, you know, we're a little naive or romantic. Masters would especially maim their slaves in a visible place, for example, take out a dislodge a tooth or something similar, so that if the slave escapes, there would be no escaping, because he would always be able to be identified as an evet. He's trying to run away and portray himself as an ordinary free human being, so some masters would intentionally cause a wound that wouldn't heal up, like the Torah is discussing, and then even if he runs away, somebody will identify him as a slave, he'll never be able to masquerade his uh, humble origins and beginnings. So the Torah says, if you do that, just remember the price. He's a free man. It's similar to heaven, as you know, though with a specific touch. Okay, that's the literal interpretation. We'll soon get into a deeper interpretation. Now, let's come to a Gemara in Brachas, Dafayim and Aleph. Amaluhu Reb Abba Bareidu Reb Barabba. Reb Abba, the son of Reb Barabba, said, Hachi Amar Reb Barabba, Amar Reb this is what my father, Reb the son of Abba, said in whose name? In the name of Reb Yoichinon. The Gemara, the Embrachas, Dafei is discussing the concept of Yisurim, of pain, of agony, of misery in life. So Reb Yoichinon said, we learn from the Torah, a Kalvachoymer, from Shein and Ayin. Shein means a tooth, Ayin means an eye, and of course he's referring to the verses in Parshish Meshpatim that teach us that if the master maims his servant, he maims a, he dislodges a tooth, he, he maims his eye permanently, or any other visible limb or organ, he goes free. So he says, there's a kal there's something we learn from this. Ma'ashen echod me'evarev shaladam. Eved yoitzebehen 
Yisurim shememarkin kol gufer shalodam alachas kama v'kama. If only a tooth or an eye, which is only one limb of a person. And yet, if the servant suffers pain in one of those limbs, he goes free or she goes free if it's a maid servant. Yisurin, agonies, pain, that heaven forbid, refine and affect the entire body of a person, or the entire life of a person, certainly this sets the person free or puts them in a completely different different space. What is Rabbi Yochanan telling us? Let's remember for a moment again who Rabbi Yochanan is. Rabbi Yochanan is the editor, author of Talmud Yerushalmi. Rabbi Ashi is the editor of Talmud Bavli, but a hundred years before Talmud Bavli, Talmud Yerushalmi is edited by Rabbi Yochanan, who is considered... One of the greatest, if not the greatest, of the Amiroyim, the first generation of Amiroyim in Eretz Yisrael. He was born approximately 180 after the Common Era. <laughs> you remember all the dates. He, w- he was born approximately 180 after the Common Era, which means a century after the destruction of the Second Beis Hamikdash. Rabbi Yochanan is considered one of the greatest sages of his time and really of all times. A spiritual giant, a leader, and the rabbi to many great sages and rabbis. Yochanan suffered a very painful life. The Gemara says in Kedushin, before he was born, remember the Gemara, Kedushin Daflamet, before he was born, his father died. Shortly after birth, his mother died. Rabbi Yochanan married and had ten children, and all, all of the children passed away in his lifetime. The Gemara tells the whole story there, Brachas Davhei. So when Rabbi Yechinen talks about pain, one listens. This is not a uh, detached philosopher getting up and giving lectures about things they didn't experience. When Rabbi Yechinen talks about it, one listens. Here he talks about it. And he has a conversation with his brother-in-law, Rishlokish. Rishlokish is his brother-in-law. Rishlokish has a very different background than Rabbi Yechinen. Rabbi Yechinen grows up in the world of Torah, He's one of the greatest sages. Rish Lakish is actually a gangster. The Gemara says about Metziah Daf Pedalet. He's a mafiosa man. He's very mighty. He's a gladiator. He's a, he's a thief. And Rabbi Yochanan one day meets him in a very unexpected place. Metziah Daf Pedalet in the Jordan River. Rabbi Yochanan went to bathe in the Jordan River. And Rish Lakish saw an opportunity for a nice gneva. And he jumped into the water. Either he wanted to steal his, uh, he wanted to take him or take his stuff or whatever he wanted to do. And Rabbi Yochanan took a look at Rishlokish and he saw his might, the jump into the water, reaching Rabbi Yochanan deep in the Jordan River. And Rabbi Yochanan, in probably one of the most brilliant pedagogical statements in the history of education, looked at Rishlokish and he didn't say, What a lowly, despicable human being you are. He said, With your strength, your strength belongs to Torah. In other words, with your strength, what you will achieve in Torah and for Torah is unprecedented. Shlokish was a clever man and he said, And with your beauty, you can have any woman in the world you want. Rabbi Yochanan's beauty, the Gemara says, was like the beauty of Yaakov, the beauty, it was a unique beauty. His, his beauty was something heavenly. 
So Yochanan said, you think I'm beautiful? My sister's even more beautiful. <laughs> and if you turn around your life, I'll try, you know, I have connections. We'll try to set you up. And that's what happens. Shlokish becomes Rabbi Yochanan's brother-in-law. And anyone who learns Shas knows Rabbi Yochanan and Shlokish are the two inseparable brothers-in-law, colleagues and friends who are always arguing as good brothers-in-law do. But in Torah, Sugiyah after Sugiyah, Rabbi Yochanan and Shlokish are the two greatest personalities of some of the greatest personalities in Shas arguing. Rabbi Yochanan and Shlokish here have a conversation. Often they argue. At first glance here, they're not arguing. But Reb Shimshon Astropolis says they are arguing, if you're sensitive to their words. So comes Reb Yechon and he says, he wants to say something about pain. Shein Ve'ayin sets the slave free. He's a different person, he's not a slave anymore. Why? Because a tooth was dislodged. So somebody who experiences chas v'shalom, yisurim in life, Reb Yechon says you have to understand that this person is in a different plateau. This person is, so to speak, spiritually free, spiritually cleansed. Which includes also the idea of humility in the presence of this person. Somebody who has endured pain is in a different place. Their perspective is a different perspective. Their soul is on a different plane. They view life, death, love, family, priorities, morality, God differently. Or if we can quote the Pasuk where Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, when he's standing in front of the burning bush... Remove your shoes off your feet because you're standing on holy soil. The Medrash Rabbah and Shmoy says that Moshe Rabbeinu actually was gazing at all of Jewish suffering throughout history. He saw the bush consumed by flames but indestructible. What he was actually gazing at was not just a physical burning bush. He was gazing at a metaphor, an embodiment of Jewish history where tragically flames of hatred, persecution, even genocide, terror would consume the Jewish people for millennia, but they would be indestructible. And when he wants to approach it and understand it, Hashem says, remove your shoes off your feet, because you're treading on holy soil. Meaning, whenever you're in the presence of a person in pain, the first thing you have to remember is take your shoes off your feet, because the place upon which you're standing is sacred soil. A person who endured pain is on a different plateau. Their life is perceived completely different. And the first thing one has to have is humility, reverence. Don't rationalize, don't trivialize, don't philosophize, don't become an expert. Take your shoes off your feet, because you're standing on Admas Kaidish, on sacred soil when you're in the presence of the burning bush. Rabbi Yochanan is conveying to us I believe a similar message when he says, if Shane and Ayin sets the slave free, so Yisurim Shemamarkin Kalgu Feshaladam, Allah's Kamavakam. That a person who has endured, endures agony and misery, this human being is elevated to a place that the other person can't even perhaps comprehend or imagine. Allah's Kamavakam. This Rabbi Yochanan says. Before we go to Rishlokish's words, let's see a fascinating commentary by the Vilna Gon in Koilel Yahu on this Gemara. In order to understand and understand it, let's see a Medrash. The Medrash Rabbah says in Parshas Noyach, Omer Reb Yaakov Bar Zavdi. Reb Yaakov said, Reb Yaakov the son of Zavdi said, My time at Eved Yotzeb Shein Va'ayin. Why does a servant go out if his tooth or eye are maimed, wounded permanently? 
So the Medrash says Mehachef from a Pasuk. Which Pasuk? <laughs> you have to figure this out. Vayar Vayaged. <laughs> you know what he's talking about? <laughs> Vayar Vayaged. Chom, exactly. Parshas Noyach, Chom observes his father, who after the Mabul created the first Kiddush club. I asked the rabbi, I was once in a shul, I asked him, where's the oilam? He says, I have oilam, JFK. I said, what's JFK? He says, just for Kiddush they come. Noyach created the first, uh, Noyach uh, planted a vineyard and he drank a little too much. We all know the story, he became inebriated. And he's exposed by Yisgal Batoicha Haloi. So what does the Torah say? Vayar Chom Es Ervas Aviv. Chom saw the nakedness of his father. What's the next thing he did? Vayaged Lishnei Echav Bachutz. You see with your eyes and you speak with your mouth, including your teeth. So the Medrash says, Noyach, we know cursed Cham, that he's going to be a slave. So it all came because of his eye and his tooth. What does this mean? This is a somewhat of an enigmatic medrash. So the Shemish Shmuel, the Shemish Shmuel was authored by the Sachachover Rebbe. Sachachover is a city in Poland. Reb Shmuel Bornstein, who was a son of the Avni Nezer. Reb Avram Bornstein, who was also a Rav in Sachachov, the author of Shalsachov's Avni Nezer, Igle Tal, and who was a son-in-law of the Kotzker Rebbe. So he quotes his father here. Shem Shmuel Noyach of the Yer Tofresh Ayin 1913. A hundred years ago. Medrash Rabbi Omer Rabbi Yaakov Bazavdi Man Tam Eved Yotze B'Shein Vayin V'Chuli Upirish Kvayt Kedushas Avi Admur Zeichet Tzadik Levrochel Echai Yolam Haba My father... Who is his father? Rabbi Avram, the Avni Nezer. Rabbi Shmuel, Sochachov's father, says as follows. It's a profound commentary. He says the concept of enslavement can only happen to somebody who experiences themselves as brute matter. An animal allows itself to be subjugated, to surrender to a person. A ruchni, Somebody who's in touch with their inner spiritual consciousness is not a slave. They're not subjugated. They're not subjugated to themselves first and foremost. You know, that's the hardest subjugation. They're not slaves to themselves. They're free people. The chaymer is not circumstantial. This chaymer feels itself to be a victim. It is what it is. The ruchni is uninhibited. It's free. So it's not enslaved to instincts, to addiction. That's a big one. To bad habits. And to even perceptions of itself. In something that's really connected to its own Ruchnius, to the source of Ruchnius. So essentially it's a reflection of the Creator. That's what Ruchnius means. Ruach, it's a reflection. And if it's a reflection of the Creator, it's free. It's uninhibited. There's no Shibut. So what Shem Yishmuel is telling us, you know what Cham's tragedy is? He became a slave to himself. And once you become a slave to yourself... You become a slave to other people also. Once you're a slave, once a person has the slave mentality, so they become a slave to themselves. What do I mean to themselves? How can you be a slave to yourselves? To parts of yourselves that are superficial. To parts of you that are not really you. But I become a slave to it. So I can become a slave to other things, to anybody. Somebody once told me that they want to quit. A teenager was telling me he has to quit yeshiva. 
So why do you want to quit yeshiva? He says, I did my six years of slavery, and now it's time, it's time for freedom. I want to be free. So I said, <laughs> so I told him, how are you going to use how are you going to use the time of freedom? He says, for starters, I'm going to sleep till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Before anything, before anything, I'm going to sleep every day till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I said, what happens at 3 o'clock in the afternoon? So he told me some other very interesting things he's going to do from 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So I told him, I'm afraid you're not going to be going free. You're just going to be substituting one form of slavery with another form of slavery. Because I doubt that your innermost self wants to become a couch potato for the next 10 years of your life. I doubt it. I highly doubt it. I don't know a person that wants to sleep till three. Really, really, their ultimate dream in life is to sleep till three in the afternoon. If you're out of yeshiva for the first week, it's exciting to sleep till three o'clock in the afternoon. Afterwards, you're going to look in the mirror, you're going to feel like, uh, you're going to feel like a shmatas. I'm afraid you're substituting one slavery with another form of slavery. It's all slavery. Some people are slaves to other people. Some people are slaves to themselves. Some people are slaves to the op-ed pages of the newspapers, to popular opinion. I'm also a slave. I'm a slave to, to my, social, uh, my social environment, but I'm still a slave. I don't know myself, I don't believe in my ruchnius, I'm not connected to my own source, my own sherish and neshama. Yeah. The Al-Sheikh says, lech lecha means you've got to go to yourself, you have to find your own sherish. You can't copy people. So uh, I, <laughs> there was a once a 104-year-old woman who was interviewed by the newspapers. So they asked her, how does it feel? You know, what's, is there any advantage to live to this age, 104? So she said, yeah, there's one advantage, no peer pressure. <laughs> right? So, so the Shemesh Shmuel argues here that in Choymer there's no in Choymer there's Shibud, in Ruach there's no Shibud. No Shibud. And I think what he also means is something even perhaps deeper, and that is, a ruchni, even if he's physically enslaved, on some level is not enslaved. On some level he's not enslaved, because his or her attitude is not enslaved. So he continues, The most spiritually sensitive faculties in a person is his or her ability to see and ability to communicate. So Chum's story really represents a parable that when one completely becomes enslaved to these faculties which themselves become enslaved to a base instinct, now Chum is basically celebrating the nakedness of his father. So this means that his unique spiritual potentials represented most in the ability to see and the ability to communicate became enslaved. So ultimately the result of this is that he deteriorated to the point that Noyach says you're going to be a slave. In other words, I would say, Noyach wasn't cursing him. Noyach was basically explaining the inevitable, which is really what a curse in the Tanakh means. When we say a curse, it's like I'm going to curse this person. Really, in the Tanakh, a curse means this is the inevitable manifestation or result of this type of behavior. So now somebody who's physically a slave generations later, if the master messes with his tooth or with eye, and therefore he now experienced pain and agony in that part of his life, there's a cleansing that happens. And therefore, it's, you, can't, you can't keep him as a slave. You're not allowed to keep him, you have to send him out. This is the Shemesh Now take a look at the Vilna Gon, a generation earlier, Koyle says the Vilna Gon, 
Slavery comes, comes from the curse of Noyach Techom. Sha'am Allah, he told him, Eved Avadim you're going to be a slave to your brothers. Vihine Shamhaya Shneidvarim. Two things happen there. The, go, the Vilna Gon says, Achaz Vayarcham Aviknan Shubayin. He's explaining the Medrash. One is, he saw, Vahashaini Uvayagid, he spoke. Shagmar Hadibur Hubashain. The complete speech, the completion of speech happens through the tooth. So you might think, according to this, for the servant to go free, there should be a double cleansing in the tooth and the eye. And nonetheless, we see the Torah says, even one, Aicham corrupted both of them. The Torah says, even one is sufficient, the tooth or the eye, and as we know, any other limb. Now we'll understand Rabbi Yochanan. So the Vilna Gon says the Kalvachaymer is from both, meaning it says Kalvachaymer Mishain Va'ayin. Right? What does it mean, Mishain Va'ayin? It's not just the tooth and the eye, the fact that he goes out. It's the fact that the tooth and the eye, and still you only need the tooth or the eye. You don't even need the tooth and the eye. When you're dealing with Yisurim, which is not just the tooth and the eye, but the kol gufri shalom, the malach has come of a come. This is what Rabbi Yechanan taught us. Pain transforms, elevates, creates a different person. Creates a different person. Now let's continue the Gemara. Back to Brachas Dafayam et Aleph. Vahainu di Reb Shimon ben Lakish. This is also what Reb Shimon ben Lakish said. The Omar Reb Shimon ben Lakish, he's known as Rish Lakish. Reb Shimon, the son of Lakish, said, Nemar bris bemelach, venemar bris biyisurin. The word bris, covenant, says in the Torah by salt. The word covenant also says in the Torah when it comes to pain. Nemar bris bemelach. It says, bris, by soul, dixiv, the Pasuk says in Parshish Vayikra, v'loisaj bis melach bris, me'al karben Hashem alakecha, do not eliminate salt from any offering that you bring to Hashem. We know the halacha, every single offering had to be salted before it was placed on the Mizbeach, and not just an animal offering. Any offering, a meal offering, a grain offering, a flower, all offerings had to be salted before. So, loisaj bis melach bris, Salt is called a bris, a covenant. Nemar bris bi yisurin. It also says the word bris, by yisurin, by pain, dixif. The Pasuk says in Parshas Kisava, at the end of the toichicha, at the end of the words of rebuke, fill of, filled of agony and pain, eile divre habris. These are the words of the covenant. Says Rish Lakish, it says bris by salt. It says bris by pain. Ma bris amar bemelech. Melech mamtekes es habasar av brisa amur be yisurin yisurin memarkin kolavaynois of shaladam says Rish Lakish. What's the what happened? What's the achievement of salt? Salt mamtekes es habasar. Salt refines meat. It makes it edible because as a result of salt, as the Marsha says there on the Gemara, salt removes it cleanses the meat from all of the blood, and therefore it becomes kosher and healthy for consumption. Besides that, salt preserves meat. We know 
you salt it and it preserves, it could last, it doesn't rot, it doesn't decay. So Rish Lakish says, it says bris by melach, it says bris by yisurim, yisurim are just like salt. Just like salt refines the meat, it makes it edible, it preserves it. Chalila, a person has yisurim, what happens? So he says, It cleanses all of the sins of the human being, all transgressions, all mistakes of the person are cleansed. Memarkin means cleansed, refined, just like salt. This Rish Lakish tells us. At first glance, Rabbi Yechon and Rish Lakish are making the same point. They're just deriving it from two distinct sources in Torah. Rabbi Yechon derives it from Apostlech and Mishpatim concerning the tooth in the eye of a slave. Rish Lakish derives it from Agzei Shava, a similarity between two of the same words, bris and bris, by salt and by yikra, and by pain and parshas kisava. There wouldn't be, there wouldn't seem to be a significant difference between them, especially the Gemara says, the Gemara itself compares the view of Rabbi Yechanan and Rish Lakish. Yet we understand that there's a problem here. Why couldn't Rish Lakish bring Rabbi Yechanan's source? Why couldn't Rabbi Yechanan bring Rish Lakish's source? So any student of Gemara knows that when two sages derive the same concept from two different sources, it's not circumstantial and it's not coincidental, it's significant. In other words, there's some disagreement. There's, of course, a common denominator. They're saying a similar thing or almost the same thing. Says Reb Shimshin of Astrapala that in this case there is a difference and as we shall see, a profound difference between the two ways of deriving this above lesson. What is the difference? For this, says Reb Shimshin, we have to learn up line in Rambam. Says the Rambam in Hilchis Avodim, Perik Hei, Halachi Yudalaf. Perik Hei of Rambam, is dedic- of Hilchis Avodim, is dedicated to the means through which the slave, the servant, goes free. Says the Rambam, Hipil Sheinoi Oisima Einoi Beloi Kavona. What happens if the master dislodged the tooth, blinded the eye unintentionally? It was a mistake. He didn't want, he didn't mean to do it. He was throwing a rock towards his animal. I don't know why, if he was having a catch with his animal or something else. But you can imagine he was throwing his rock towards the animal and it fell on his servant. It dislodged the tooth. It maimed his finger permanently. Then he doesn't go free. The Pasuk says in Yapil means he does it, he is behind the action. Even if he throws a rock, he still did it. But Yapil means he is behind the action. When we say he is behind the action, we mean his consciousness, his will. He wanted to maim his servant. He was angry, he lost himself. He was overtaken by a bad temper, became a control freak, he became a, whatever he became, but he did it. It was a, perhaps a moment of terrible weakness, but he intended to do it, the slave goes free. If it was a tragic mistake that he himself regrets, of course, he has to uh, take care of the evid and do whatever it takes to, uh, to, uh, to heal the evid and so forth, as the halacha dictates, but nonetheless, the evid doesn't go free. So there's one, one stipulation. The stipulation is it has to be bekavona. He was behind it. The servant knows he was behind it. That's shein va'ayin. So when will the servant go free? Only if the master did it intentionally. But now let's take salt. 
How does meat get refined through salt? If you do it intentionally? Anyway. If somebody else comes to my piece of meat and salts it without even asking me. Right? Or I pour a lot of salt, salt falls somewhere on the, on, on the counter and there's meat there. Or somebody does it. Or I do it, but I do it by mistake or unintentionally. No difference. <laughs> Salting meat doesn't have to be with kavan. I don't have to put on a gartel and say, L'shem yichud, I'm going to salt the meat. And then the blood is cleansed. Any form, any way, as long as the, 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 as long as the salt came in contact with the meat, that's it. Abgemacht, excuse me. It's done. I don't even care if a stranger salts the meat. I don't care if an owner salts the meat. Doesn't make a difference if it was poured on the meat intentionally or not. The meat is cleansed and refined and preserved. Says Reb Shimshon of Astropoler, there's a big argument between Reb Yochanan and Rish Lakish. Reb Yochanan says, Yisurim memarkin gufay shaladam kalvachayim emeshein va'ayin. Rish Lakish says, Yisurim memarkin because you learn it from bris by melach. It's a very big difference. What's the difference? Rabbi Yochanan says, pain elevates a person to a different place, to a depth. It gives them, uh, sadly, tragically, unfortunately, it gives them a depth, it gives them a clarity beyond an ordinary human being with one condition, Rabbi Yochanan says. If the person is aware that it came from his master, just like by Shein Va'ayin, if the person becomes aware that it came from his master, it didn't happen randomly by mistake because of an individual or because of a freak of nature. It just happened. The person is aware, like by Shein Vayayin, that it came from the master intentionally. Just as in the law of the slave, that's Rabbi Yochanan's point. When the slave comes to court and says, my master maimed me, he'll go free. But he has to know that his master maimed him and his master maimed him with purpose. Unfortunately, his master, for his master, then he goes free. Says Rabbi Yochanan, if a person is aware that God is in the midst of his pain, God is behind it, then the person will find meaning. The person could find meaning in it. The, purpose, the, person, the person could find purpose in it. The person can see it as a catalyst, as a springboard for, 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 for deeper heights, for deeper clarity, for deeper wisdom. I know this is sensitive stuff, and, and I'm very sensitive when I talk about this because uh, every person you know, has experiences and the speaker usually doesn't know. We don't know anybody. So, so it's a very sensitive thing Rabbi Yechenin is saying, that when the person becomes aware that the pain is a messenger. It's a messenger. It's, or I should say, it's a message, and he doesn't forget the messenger. Sometimes there's a message, and you don't think there's a messenger. But he doesn't forget the messenger, so then it can give him perspective. It can give him clarity. It can bring her or him to a place that nobody else can even grasp. Now, let's make it clear. Rabbi Yochanan here is not rationalizing pain. He's not justifying pain. The Gemara discusses the Yisurim Shalava and so forth. That's not what, he's not 
belittling or minimizing the terrible, terrible suffering that a person goes through. What he's saying is, like Hashem told Moshe, take your shoes off your feet because you're standing in front of sacred soil. This person is in a different place completely. And this is so true in life. It's so true in life. One of the, I think, great mistakes that people sometimes make, especially clergy, teachers or rabbis or educators, is that they trivialize. A person is in a lot of pain and they often have easy answers. It's because of this, it's because of that, don't worry, it will be good. It's completely inappropriate. Sometimes it's coming from stupidity, sometimes it's coming from cruelty, sometimes it's coming from a combination of both. The first prerequisite of such a situation, such an encounter is humility, reverence, take your shoes off your feet, and be sensitive because you're standing in front of a person who's in a different space, in a much, much deeper, deeper space on every level, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. So therefore, the other person who may have not experienced that, and sometimes not even close to that, needs to take off their shoes. But Rabbi Yechanan is saying, when does Yisurim have that effect, that impact? Shein v'yayin. It's like Shein v'yayin. When the person somehow can perceive God. In other words, it's not a freak, because if that doesn't happen, then Rabbi Yechanan would argue the pain may cause the exact opposite result. The person just becomes bitter, cynical, sensitive. I'm, I'm, I'm not some bitter, cynical, very rough, very tough, and one can't judge somebody when they develop that tough skin as a result of pain. Rabbi Yochanan says, however, if they can perceive, if they can recognize, if they can be cognizant that there's a divine essence here, there's Hashem behind this. So then the person could see it as a journey. It's part of a process. It's part of a journey. There's some goodness. There's some meaning even if he or she can't wrap their brain around it, which usually one cannot wrap their brain around these things. But then the challenging circumstances can become a catalyst on some level. It gives a person a depth. If only it tells them that reality is so mysterious. And that itself... It's such a profound idea. They say about the Baal Shem Tev, a story that a Jew came to him, and he was a pious man, a holy person, a spiritual person, and he asked his master, he wants to see Eliyoh Anavi. He wants to have Gili Eliyoh. He wants Eliyoh Anavi to show up to him. And he felt worthy of it. I wouldn't ask the Baal Shem Tev, uh, for Gili Eliyoh, but I guess he felt worthy of it. So the Baal Shem Tev pushed him off a few times. But he kept on asking and nudging and requesting. So the Baal Shem Tev, they say, gave him a Seder Avoidah for 10 years. 10 years, he told them what to do, and it was difficult work, and he went to do it. And 10 years later, I don't know how to break the news, Elio Anovi did not show up at the side door, or even at the back door, the front door, not through the garage either. So uh, he comes running back to the Baal Shem Tev, really crushed, devastated. He's like, Rebbe, Ten years of ten years I worked, I hustled spiritually, morally, ethically, psychologically. It's all wasted, down the drain, worthless, meaningless. Mamish, it was wasted. Nothing, nothing happened. Baal says nothing happened. Something extraordinary happened. You became a humble person. Something extraordinary happened. You became a humble person. And I would argue sometimes that's a little deeper than Gili Eliyahu, or that is his Gili Eliyahu. 
What is Eliyahu Anavigam? An angel is going to fly into him and make him feel that he's uh, God's gift to humanity. He became a real person. He became a humble person. He understood what a person is. Sometimes the awareness of mystery, the ability to look up at heaven and see infinity, see that reality is really not what we box into our own brain, is a very, very elevating experience because often what happens in life is we reduce all of reality to our own imagination. We reduce all people to our imagination. That's why we could be so judgmental. It's like on the highway. It's always the guy on the I-95, you ever realized? The guy driving right in front of me is a klutz and slow. The guy driving behind me is a maniac. I'm a sugar and a maniac. But I am always driving the perfect speed, right? Ask almost any Jew living in the world, okay? The Jew whose left wing of his is secular, alienated. The Jew is a little more religious, is fundamentalist. He is the normal Jew, always. I am the normal Jew. You're a little too from, you're a fundamentalist, you're weird. You're this way, you don't care, you're alienated. But I am always, right, because I'm the center and everything is judged according to my experience. What happens when one encounters pain is the first thing that happens is the mystery comes out. The ability to be able to see life in such a more sober and real, real way in the sense that one realizes where to put themselves in the, in, in the universe and appreciates the literal infinite mystery of it all. That's just one aspect of it. But for this to happen, one has to appreciate that there is a mystery. There is an infinite mystery. It's not just a random freak of nature because the whole world is one big random place and different cookies crumble at different times. This is Rabbi Yochanan's argument about Shein V'yayin. Comes Rish Lakish and says, I disagree. Of course, as a good Jew and a brother-in-law, he disagrees. What does Rish Lakish say? Rish Lakish says it's not true. No matter who administers the salt, no matter who, puts the, who pours the salt on the meat, it causes the meat to be refined. I, the master, didn't do it. I, it happened by mistake. The salt from the salt, if you would ask the salt, who did it? There was a kavana? No, it was by mistake. But this, it's still refined. If the salt would be able to communicate, of course. Says Rish Lakish, no matter the perspective of a person, all pain places the person experiencing it in a different madrega, in a different plateau, infinitely deeper and greater than all other people. The person may be clueless as to God's involvement in any of it. The person may be completely ignorant or not ready to appreciate any divine meaning in his or her journey of life. They're just not there for whatever reason. A person may call themselves an agnostic. As we would say today, the person may call themselves an atheist. So once a, a sign in a store. In God we trust, everyone else pay cash. You know, if God comes, we'll trust him. But in the meantime, you pay cash, right? So this person is completely clueless for whatever reason they're clueless. Maybe because of their pain or maybe because of their education, or maybe because of their indoctrination, or maybe for any other reasons, the felt reasons why different people profess different belief systems and attitudes to life. Says the Rebbe a person may be oblivious completely to the source of the pain. From their perspective, there's no source. Certainly no good source, no compassionate source, no meaningful source, no divine source. Yet the very reality of the salt transforms the meat. 
It's not the same meat. It's holy meat. It's kosher meat. It's, it's, so to speak, sacred meat. It's refined meat. It's edible meat. And it's preserved meat. In other words, this person, these people are in a genre all of their own. A category all of their own. Their depth, their holiness, their sacredness is of a different nature. You could say the strings of their heart's violin are woven of a different fabric, Rish Lakish argues. We have here, according to Rabbi Shimshin, a profound argument. According to Rabbi Yochanan, for pain to be transformative and redemptive, transformative and redemptive, man must be aware of the divine source of it. He has to be aware that there is a master, like Shein and Ayin. He has a master, and it's his master, physical master, or in this case, the master of the universe, who has caused him ultimately the anguish. It may have been directly, it may have been indirectly, but his master caused him this anguish. He may not fully wrap his brain around it. After I'll say that again, and you could say it another 100,000 times and still not say it enough. This is not a trivialization. A tr- this is not making light of it. But the Yochanan says, ultimately he's aware there's a master involved. Only then will he be able to recognize it as pur- purposeful and meaningful and... He may not understand why, where, what, when, but this person's growth, this person's madrega is completely different. It's part of his relationship with God, in other words. Every experience in life is part of his relation, personal, intimate relationship with Hashem, who loves him, who loves him infinitely, who loves him unconditionally, who will never ever hate him, and even if he made mistakes, it can never, whoops, it could never, it could never shatter or destroy the love. He may not understand exactly why this is happening and why someone who loves him so much wants him to go through this, but there's a deep conviction that this is part of my relationship with somebody who loves me, who loves him or her infinitely, and this will open new vistas in the human being's heart. That's Rabbi Eichelin's view. Al-Tbaseyda. Reish Lakish says, no, no matter of a person's awareness of the source of his anguish, it's transformative and cleansing, even if he thinks God has absolutely nothing to do with it, he may not even have a relationship with Hashem, or it's certainly not a relationship in this particular area. Reish Lakish says, even if a person feels completely disconnected from the source, the very reality alters his or her consciousness for eternity, and when we stand in the presence of that person, you may say the person is not a believer, the person is not this. Rish Lakish says, Shalna lecha meyaraglecha, kiyamakay masha'ata oimedolov, admas koidish hu. If I could say it in dramatic terms, the faith of the pain of the agnostic or the person who declares themselves as an atheist may be as holy as the pain of the believer. They may not be capable or wanting or, or able to perceive the full picture. But who can perceive the full picture? Rish Lakish says, stand in reverence. You're standing in front, of, uh, in front of sacred soil. If this is the case, says Reb Shimon, if this is true about the Gemara Brachas, he says, let me show you another Gemara that will fall perfectly into place based on this. The Gemara in Chagigid Afeyamed Aleph. Reb Yoichinen, Reb Yoichinen, Reb Yoichinen. Kimoti lahai kro. When he came to this Pasuk, Bachi, he started to cry. Which Pasuk? Parshas Vayelach. 
Hashem tells Moshe, one day you're going to pass away and your people will be lost to themselves, to their soul, to their God. I hope you know it at least from the Nigan. I will conceal my face that day. But the Pasuk was probably written before the Nigan. The Pasuk says, You could see the Pasuk in the next source. When many difficult, painful afflictions will occur, Simtsena, they will occur, they will be found among the Jewish people. I want you to create this melody, Hazinu Hashemayim, to serve as an eternal witness who these people are, what their destiny is, what their mission is, what their source is. They should never forget who they are because they might forget. And it should never be forgotten from their children because I know the Yates, I know the inclination, I know these people today, even before they came to the land that I have sworn to give them. When Rabbi Yochanan would reach this Pasuk, he would weep. Now I ask you a question. Why Rabbi Yochanan? All of the sages read this Pasuk. Why when Rabbi Yochanan would read this Pasuk? So we learn the Gemara, Chagig, okay, he wept. I don't know why nobody else wept. It touched him. Why Rabbi Yochanan? The Gemara says about other psukim, Rabbi Akiva would cry at certain psukim. Here it's Rabbi Yochanan would cry. Why Rabbi Yochanan and nobody else? And why was it this verse? There are many psukim that discuss some negative things that can happen and befall the Jewish people. He should have cried at all of them or cried at none of them. He cries at this psukim in Parshas Vayelach. Why? comes Reb Shimshon Astrapala, and he says, now we'll understand. He was reading the Pasuk, and let's see what he said. Back to the Gemara in Chagigah. If a master causes many evils and afflictions to come upon his servant... Does this slave have any hope? And that's why he's weeping. If the rabbi, if his own master is causing so many afflictions to come away, is there hope? What did Rabbi Yechanan mean here? At first glance, he might be saying, you know, right? If his own father threw him out of yeshiva, it means it's a pretty bad situation. If his own master, if his own master is hurting him, and the old master wouldn't want to hurt a slave. There's no hope. It's not a stranger. It's his old master. But what was what Rabbi Yechanan saying here? Hashem says constantly, even in the same parsha, parsha before, the parsha after, that I'm concealing my face. Ultimately, the Jews will return. Ultimately, I will gather them back. He felt there's no hope. Ain't loy takana. What did Rabbi Yechanan mean? And why is he crying by this posik? Says Reb Shimshin. Look at Rabbi Yechanan's words. What's Eved Sherabai Mamtsiloi? He says, Eved Sherabai Oisaloi. Rabbi Mamtsiloi means, he doesn't say a servant that his master afflicts him. His master causes him to be afflicted. Mamtsiloi. He creates situations that are Mamtsi, that ultimately afflictions is found by him. It's not that he afflicts him. He causes him to be afflicted. 
Klum takana yeshloi. Is there hope? Why doesn't he say, if a master afflicts a servant? He doesn't say that. If a master causes afflictions to come by a servant. He says, Rabbi Yechonen is referring to a situation where the servant is not aware that it came from his master. The master didn't, you say, the master afflicted you? No! Nothing with the master. I have nothing with the master. So what happened? I don't know, things happen. Evet mamtziloi. He can't identify the koya chapoyel benifal. He can't identify the original source, the original cause. He thinks it's coming from elsewhere. That's why the pasuk says, When they will encounter, the people will encounter these troubles. Like a metzia. When you find something, do you know who dropped it? The Gemara says in Sanhedrin, That's the whole idea of metzia. In Yiddish they say, it's from nowhere. I don't know from where. If you dropped it, it's a whole different situation. A metziah means I found it. Now there's a question. Is there a simon? Is there no simon? Is there a way of identifying the master? Is there no way? Is there yish? Is there no yish? But that's all a metziah. It's found. It's here. It happens. It's just, you know, it's part of the brutality of life. This planet is a painful place. Hemingway said, life breaks all people. But some people know how to live in broken places better than others. He didn't. He took his life. One of the greatest writers, he committed suicide. This is Simtsena. This is the world. Tamashuganavelt, right? That's why Rabbi Yechanan is crying. Why is Rabbi Yechanan crying? Because he says in Brachas Dafhei that it's Shein Va'ayin. That the person is not cognizant of the source, Rabbi Yechanan feels he's crying for the servant who's not cognizant of the source. He's trying to tell him, don't create a situation of kisim tsena. If that's the case, says Rabbi Shimshon come back to Parshas Ve'era. And this whole discussion is in the Pasuk in the beginning of Parshas Ve'era. Says Hashem to Moshe Rabbeinu, go back to the first source, now listen. I too have heard the outcry of the Jewish people, but this was not a regular outcry. Many or most of the Jews, why were they crying? Because the Egyptians enslaved them. In their mind, it was all from Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim avidim it's all about their relationship with Egypt. It's all about the brute power of Egypt. Mitzrayim Avid, they were victims of Egypt. They were crying. They were horrified. The pain was terrible, but it was Mitzrayim Avid So you might say, ah, this does not create a springboard for redemption. Physical redemption and even more emotional redemption, spiritual redemption. They're not in touch with the source, says Hashem. At this moment, I remember my bris. I remember the bris. What's the bris? Nemar bris b'melach, v'nemar bris b'yisurin. Mam melech, mam tekes, asabosor, af yisurin, mamarkin. No difference. If the salt was poured intentionally, if the meat knows where it comes from, the salt touched the meat, it's salty. There's an absolute transformation of the meat. You can't compare the meat. The esker is brisi. 
says the Pshimshin the Rebbeinu Shalolim said in the argument between Rabbi Yochanan and Rishlakish, Halacha Kirishlakish, Ve'eskeres Brisi. I remember the bris because I remember the bris. I tell Moshe Rabbeinu, we're we're going we're going out. Hashem takes the side of Reish Lakish. With the permission of the Mekubal, the Tzadik, Reb Shimshin Astropoler, I want to use his insight to address finally a question that many people have and I think an attitude that we can develop or cultivate based on the words of this uh, sacred uh, master and sage, Hashem Yinkim Damay. And it's also inspiring that he was killed in 1648, and uh, hundreds of years later, hundreds of years later, almost 400 years later, um, uh, is uh, could be found only in Wikipedia. And we're sitting together Sunday morning, and learning the Torah of Reb Shimshon Astrapala. Many people ask a question, and it's a good question. How can we entertain the idea that the last generations, our generation, could be a generation that will see Mashiach Tzedkeinu, that will see redemption? After all, generations and generations of pious, holier Jews than... Uh, most of us, or at least I could speak for myself, I'm not going to speak for you, did not, see, did not see redemption. So how can a generation of mostly simple Jews achieve a feat that nobody else accomplished? Especially if we have the courage to look out of our own cocoon and understand the Jewish world, one realizes immediately that the levels of assimilation among our people is staggering. It's probably never been on this level, or I don't know, never been on this level, but it's, it's quite dramatic. I was speaking to a rabbi a few days ago. He called me. I asked him how his activities are doing. He says, it's a little difficult because 90% of Jews that live in my city are intermarried. Not 50%, 90%. So he says, it's very difficult. You know, you want to make a minion and you have to find out about mitzvah, school, Hanukkah, Purim. So many millions of Jews are completely alienated from Yiddishkeit, from Torah, from mitzvahs. So how can it be that Mashiach is going to arrive in our lowly generation? Or as the Gemara puts it in Yevamas, Ach Shadari, Rashi says, Bitmiya. You're going to say that this generation is kosher? And that the Gemara was saying. And that's uh, 18, 1700 years ago. But sometimes we forget a very simple and profound truth, especially the way the Pshimshan Astropala brings it out. And that is all of the Jewish people constitute one large dynamic organism. What we call koima achas shleima. Klal Yisrael from beginning of time, from Avram Avinu, from Moshe Rabbeinu, throughout, till Mashiach, it's like a body. That's why this is called, this, this generation is called ikvise de Mashiach. What's ikvise de Mashiach? The heels, the foot, it's a body. And the body is one, a body is completely one. There's one central nervous system that encompasses the entire body. After all the pain and agony and suffering that the Jewish people endured for 3,300 years, we have to understand that every Jew living today is refined and holy beyond 
anybody's imagination. The amount of pain that this body, the sacred body of Klai Yisrael endured, from Maimed Har Sinai, all the way to our generation, all the way to this very weekend, in Eretz Yisrael and Tel Aviv, and so on and so forth. Things we know about, things we don't know about, things of the Klal and things of the Prat, physical and spiritual, emotional, it's beyond even what somebody can describe. This is a nation that suffered, suffered incredibly for thousands of years. And even though we sit Baruch Hashem today in a generation that is so blessed and so prosperous in a way that our forefathers couldn't even dream of, nonetheless, each one of us carries the gene and the flag of hundreds and hundreds of generations of Jews where we come from, and we are here today. So therefore, can anyone even imagine what these Yisurim have done to our people? Can anybody even understand what these Yisurim over thousands of years did? The level of awe, respect, reverence we ought to have in the presence of every single Jew we meet anywhere in the world probably can't be described in words. So may we dare to say that the Jews you look at here or anywhere else, the children you look at, the youth you look at, even though so many of us sit and complain, oy, 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 what's going to be with them? It's not like when I was in yeshiva, as though when you were in yeshiva, everything was absolutely impeccable. But I'm not going there at the moment. I think we could maintain that this generation of Jews is the holiest generation of the Jewish people. The holiest generation of the Jewish people. Not because we're the brightest, not because we're the deepest, not because we're the most spiritually sensitive, not because we make no mistakes, not because we're the holiest, and not because we're giants, but simply what our people have endured over millennia, never mind in the last generation, just 60, 70 years ago, with the the Second World War, the Holocaust, and we are their children, we carry their genes, we carry their DNA, we carry their souls, we carry their flag. So even if you meet a Jew who claims that he or she is alienated, assimilated, an agnostic. They don't believe. They believe on Mondays, but not on Wednesdays. They believe before Yom Kippur, but not after Yom Kippur. They're closed, they're far, they're angry, they're upset. All of this needs tikkun. We need to heal ourselves, we need to heal the people. But even when you meet such a person, and he may be completely apathetic, or completely ignorant, I think we have to remember that Hashem has embraced the opinion of I remember my bris. You're standing in the presence of the most holy, sacred, and saintly human being, according to the view of Rish Lakish. Ah! Ah! How we have to appreciate the Kedushas Ha'uma, the holiness of the Jewish people. You stand in the presence of a Yiddish kind, a Yiddish Ingala, a Yiddish Medela, a Bocher, a young man, a young woman, no difference, age, whatever difference. The holiness of Ayid, the holiness of the Jewish people, of every single Jew, it can't be estimated. There's no quill that can capture it in words on the paper. And there's no words that can express it verbally. How profound. Of course, each of us has to do work on ourselves. And it's a little harder than doing work on other people. There's no question. I have, to be, I have to work on myself. Every person works on themselves and enhances themselves. 
collectively, when you, when you look at the Jewish people, we are refined beyond any level of refinement that anybody could imagine. When a person gets up and chas v'sholem is mekatrig on Klal Yisrael, they're low, they're, they're horrible, they're this, they're this, finding every chisarim, they're clueless and detached from this truth of the Eskiris Brisi collectively, if you put on the right glasses, you look at Klal Yisrael, the level of refinement after 3,300 years of untold pain that nobody yet understands why and what they had to go through this is beyond what can ever be described in any words or any prose, even the greatest master of words. Rishlakish Hashem said it in three words, V'eskir is brisi. There's an infinite holiness that flows through the blood of our people beyond anybody's words. Have a wonderful week. This goes very well into Rogetman. The reason why Rogetman went crazy is because he lost his Rosh Lakish. So two pshat. Maybe you could say, but it just gets in a pshat that Rosh Lakish, that uh, the whole point of Rosh Lakish, this is Shlach Tarek, because the Gemara Bracha said he's going, this is a 10th bone. So close by the time he had that connection. He didn't go crazy, but the minute he lost the tar, he lost the back. And the feeling is even connects better. Every other tar that happens at the Echman was from Hashem. Rishlakish, he caused himself because he made fun of Rishlakish. So it was Mamsi. He didn't, it wasn't directly, so he wasn't able to recognize it, so this was Mamish too much. You mean he blamed it on himself? He blamed it on himself. He, could, he said, I'm the one who caused my. Okay, but it, it works both ways. You're saying Rabbi Echman blamed himself. So he couldn't find... Uh, he couldn't find uh, solace. He couldn't find any comfort in it. Okay, but Lamaita, it's better than Amishak, because otherwise, just to lose the Chalusa, is not to go crazy. You're saying the whole lie, his whole, whole pain came, came back, because he lost... Uh, yeah. Passed for Radinsky. <laughs> it's his own vart. What? It's his own vart. Where did the Rambam come and say that there has to be... Chazal say it. Chazal, yeah. Yap. According to the Torah, the Torah didn't give... No, when it says, when it says, Chiyake... Yapil, it means that he is behind it. When, when somebody does something by mistake, it has a whole different category in halacha because it's, I did it, right? But I didn't do it, meaning I didn't do it with con- full consciousness. So it has a different category. But I'm saying when you know the Tanakh, the term, no, it is a big difference. Because if, if the reason we do it, like the Ebenezer says, is that masters shouldn't beat their servants, right? Or because they used to do it intentionally, so if it's a mistake, he didn't mean to beat his student. It was a mistake. He slammed the door in his finger. He didn't mean it. So it's not like we don't, we don't, hold, we don't hold him accountable for it. In that sense. No, he has to pay. He has to compensate all the medical expenses, etc. But we can't hold him accountable and say he's a brutal master. Uh, let him free. He wasn't brutal. He pushed him, made a mistake. He probably regrets it more than anybody else. So we can understand the logic here. Also. Well, like yeah. said, according to his, his whole point of I have a hard time understanding that. It should be it should be an obvious thing. If it's you know, why would he even have to teach us that? You know, if it, if it, if it the shane iron. So why can't it be like that? Why can't he be? Why has it be machalik? If 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 someone is able to make a tikkun, is able to to be affected, even if he doesn't know about it, ah, uh, that's kama kama if he gets his nesham into it, kol gufo, it should be even more so. In other words, he doesn't necessarily disagree with this, he says, but it can be enhanced so much more. If he that it's even more. Okay, that's nice. That's nice. You're saying Rabbi Yechonin doesn't disagree, he's just saying you can't compare. You can't compare. It would be much deeper. Okay. That's nice, actually. You're making shalom bias, and it's geshmaker. So you're saying the Geula could come even a little bit of That I like. That's good, yeah.
This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.